0: Hello, my friends. Welcome again to the Deeper Daily Podcast. I'm Paul White. It's the 26th day of April. We are approaching the end of the month, and of course, we will do the essay edition on the 30th, which means that we have the next four days, the 26th through the 29th. And of course, the 29th will include talking a little bit about the sermon that will drop on Sunday. We have four days to really get through this passage um, before we end up wherever we end up doing the essay edition, and I have tried to to not cheat. I've tried to just let the essay edition come wherever we are. Um, I'm thinking that that's probably going to be right about transfiguration, which will work out great because, man, do I have a lot of stuff to say about the transfiguration of Jesus. On our way there, we are at the true turning point of the Gospel of Mark because we are at the true turning point in the ministry of Christ. Jesus has just asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? Peter said, You're the Christ. And then he warned them that they tell no one. And this is a strange thing. I want to just I want to hit on this because we've talked about before in passing how Jesus is not letting them tell folk. You know, he'll heal somebody and say, Don't go tell anyone. And of course, most people reject that. They just do whatever they want. And we don't see Jesus then chasing them down and condemning them. So you have to come up with a reason why contextually Jesus doesn't want it told, because if you don't have context, then it almost feels like Jesus doesn't want us spreading good news. We're not supposed to testify when something great happens. We know better because we know there's a great commission coming up. We know that's how the propagation of the gospel happens. So, Within the context, and I know I'm probably preaching to the choir, everybody here listening understands this, but let's just, just make sure this is this is the highest point of revelation we're about to get to in Christ. That you are the Christ. Your transfiguration's coming up. It doesn't get any bigger than this. And yet, he wants them to keep it secret. Only when we look at this from the other side of the cross and the resurrection, do we realize that Jesus wants them to be quiet about it because mankind has a predilection for power and oppressed people, those who are waiting on a redeemer or waiting on something to bring them out, will run towards the miraculous or the powerful as their answer. So Jesus does not want to allow the political notions of his messiahship to compromise the calling that he knows is his. And the calling is indeed to be the messiah, but not to be the messiah according to their expectations, because their expectations of messiah are entirely political. You could say they're military, but that's within the political realm. They are looking for a natural king in a natural kingdom. Christ knows that his true calling is to be the Messiah, but to be the suffering Messiah, whose moral work, whose spiritual work, is to redeem in totality not only Israel, but the family of man. And if people are running around telling who he is and what he's doing, that can't happen. Verse 31, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. This is what I mean by this is the turning point. This is the turning point in his earthly ministry and it's the turning point in the Gospel of Mark. And it's also not to be lost on us that Jesus doesn't start talking about His death, burial, and resurrection until after they have their revelation that He is the Christ. So that once they have been completely convinced that He's the Anointed One, then He can begin to show them why that's important. Because I think once they've come into that, if He doesn't reveal to them that He's going to suffer, they're going to become more and more insistent on a militant response. I honestly think that we are nearing the end of Jesus' journey on the earth, and we're only halfway through the book of Mark. And I think that when you see, for instance, Judas arrive in Gethsemane and kiss Jesus, and I've said this to you before, I don't think Judas was out to betray Jesus in the way we think of it. I think that the betrayal was simply that the Jesus that Judas got was not the Jesus that Judas wanted. And so Judas betrayed the Jesus that is at the expense of a Jesus he wished he had. And that, I think, comes as a direct result of Judas being as convinced as Peter is, this is the one. Well, if he's the one, he ought to start acting like it. And so at this point in his ministry, Jesus starts to teach about suffering, rejection, being killed and then rising again and so i want to stay with that it's the turning point it's it's the prediction of his death uh, of his resurrection it's his journey to jerusalem it's true messiahship it's true discipleship it's all of those things and jesus says it must happen he must suffer and that's a word that that shows us that Jesus isn't just stepping into these things shocked, like, oh boy, what's going on? No, Jesus, the, the disciples are that way, but Jesus is not. And there's a lot behind that little word must, the all of scriptural prophecy, which had ordained the necessity of everything Jesus is going to do is behind that word must. And Jesus can predict his death, his burial, his resurrection, directly out of his understanding of the Old Testament. For instance, his prediction of his suffering comes from Isaiah 52 all the way through the middle part of Isaiah 53. His suffering and his death come from Zechariah 9, Zechariah 12, Zechariah 13. And, And he could take the entire body of the Old Testament as an overview of the fact that God's people frequently suffer. So Jesus steps into suffering because God's people suffer He's one of God's people, but also because prophecy speaks of the one who's coming who will suffer. Um, one quick comment about just just some of the details of this verse because we were introduced here to elders. we were introduced here to chief priests. we've talked about scribes. the elders are are lay members of the ruling body of Israel uh, that's well, that ruling body is called the sanhedrin by that's the court that basically governs day- to day Jewish affairs. They brought in lay people, the average, just guys off the street, respectable people in the Jewish community. They brought them in as a voice for the lay person. Those people were called elders. And the the court of the Sanhedrin actually contained elders. It contained chief priests and it contained scribes. And the scribes would have been considered the teachers of the law. Well, the chief priests, this is the high priest family and they are the wealthiest Jews in all of the land. They are affiliated with the Sadducees. Uh, They are going to be highly involved in the death of Jesus, but the the high priest family is so wealthy because they don't own property. They're not allowed to own property or homes, but they take of the redemption money, whatever is in excess of what the temple needs, they get some, they eat the food off of the altar, but here's where they really make their killing. And I mean, literally, they're killing. They are the sheep eaters. That's why Jesus calls, talks about wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves in sheep's clothing are those who eat sheep. Wolves eat sheep. And Jesus gets infuriated at that when he turns the money changers table over. The money changers are the high priest's family. They are the ones that are setting the... Trend, the uh, exchange fee between the coins of the empire and the coins minted exclusively for use in the temple. They have a racket going. You can't use your money in the temple. You have to use their money. And they set the exchange rate. And so they are fabulously wealthy. And I don't mean fabulous in a good way. Tomorrow on the podcast, Peter's going to rebuke Jesus. We'll see that happen and we'll talk to you then. God bless.